Well, please turn in your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. We're going to make it through the entire chapter this Sunday, which is something we very seldom do, but there's a lot here. It all goes together, and I just couldn't divide it in half, so we're going to go through the whole chapter. But let's take a look at it. Acts chapter 3. I'm going to read the first couple of verses so we know the direction that Scripture has taken us this morning. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John asking Excuse me. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, what I give. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. As we study this amazing chapter, Father, bring it to life in our hearts. Give us a front row seat by faith through the scriptures of what was taking place at 3 o'clock that afternoon as this uh, man is healed. So, Lord, open our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The title of my message this morning is A Broken Man and the Power of God. Now, how many of you don't know this already, but if you look at our world spiritually, we live in a broken world, okay? We live in a world filled with sin. We live in a world filled with disease. We live in a world that is broken and is marred. Some people look to government and politics for the answer, some people look to philosophy and religion, and some people look to mortal man. But the problem with all these is they are fleeting, and they do not give the solution to the problem of sin. What do we do with sin? What do we do with sickness? What do we do with disease? What do we do with all the things that are wrong in this world. And that's why I love Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 gives us the solution. It gives us the answer for the brokenness and sin in the world. And his name is Jesus. Jesus. What a beautiful name. Sometimes I think we're just spiritually blind, even, even the church. When, when we fail to see everything that Christ is, when we see how awesome and how powerful he is and how he came to meet our greatest need. And our greatest need is, what do we do with our sin? Jesus answers that. You find forgiveness for your sin at the foot of the cross. What do we do with our disease? What do we do with death? The ultimate statistic, 10 out of 10 people die. You're going to die. I'm going to die. We're, we're, our bodies are breaking down. What is the answer and the solution for disease and death? It's Jesus. He answers the big question of eternal life. I don't think the world grasps it. They don't see the big picture. He offers you eternal life. 
I don't know about you, but I hate death. I can't stand the thought of death. But the thought of living forever and having life. I love my kids. I love my wife. I love my family. I love life. And Christ offers us eternal life. So it's amazing. So let let your heart be full this morning as we see the answer to the brokenness and sin in the world in this beautiful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. In ancient Israel, the Jews marked the hours, the hours of the day differently than the way we mark our hours. The first hour of the Jewish day was 6 a.m. If you do the math, here in Acts chapter 3, it is actually 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And the disciples are going where? They're going up to the Jewish temple for the hour of prayer. I find that fascinating that the, that the disciples who are now born again, the church has been born, and they, they did not break away from their Jewish foundation. They didn't break away from their Jewish foundation. Here, Peter and John are going up to the Jewish hour of prayer. As we make our journey through the book of Acts, we are going to see the struggle the early church experienced with the Old Testament laws, circumcision, the dietary laws, and the Sabbath. So we're going to maneuver our way through those over the next six to eight months as we go through the book of Acts, and we're going to see what the biblical Christian response is to the Jewish laws and the things of the Old Testament. Christians like to ask me today, can I make Old Testament practices part of my life? Here's the deal. For salvation, you cannot add nothing to the gospel of grace. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. Okay? We add nothing to the gospel of grace. Paul wrote an entire letter dedicated to this subject, the, the book of Galatians. We can add nothing to grace. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, Christ alone, period. But there are many wonderful things we can learn from the Old Testament and Judaism that enhance our understanding of Scripture and even deepen our relationship with Christ. And here the disciples are partaking of a Jewish practice, going to the Jewish hour of prayer. Look at verse 2. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. Man, what a tough life. What, what a tough life. This man had been born lame from his mother's womb. In other words, he was paralyzed. He could not use his legs. What kind of life was that? That, my friend, would be a very difficult life. That would be a, a, a life of hardship, of difficulty, of not being able to walk, not being able to move, always being dependent on other people. My mother was in a wheelchair. My mother was in a wheelchair, and I used to go down to the nursing home and visit with her and sit with her and talk with her. And we always talked about the Lord Jesus Christ. And she's like, David, I want to walk again one day. And I was like, Mom, you're going to. Mom, you're going to walk again. You're, you're going to walk again one day. When you step into heaven because you put your trust in Christ, you are going to have a brand new body. Could he heal her in this life? Absolutely. He could heal her at that very moment. 
And sometimes he does heal in this life. But the ultimate healing will come when we have eternal life. Uh, alms, it says uh, they, he was begging for alms. Alms was money given to the poor. Verse 3 says, And when he saw Peter and John about to go to the temple, he began to ask him to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. Verse 5, And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. He was a very desperate man. And he was like, Oh, maybe these guys will help me. But the thing about it was, he was not looking for spiritual help. He was looking for something physical. He was looking something for material. He had accepted his condition. And he was looking for any way that people could help him in this life. And here, being led by the Holy Spirit, Peter and John focus in on this one man. And look at what they say in verse 6. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. What's happening here? What's taking place here in Acts chapter 3 at 3.30 in the afternoon as the disciples are going up to the Jewish prayer? God gave Peter the special supernatural gift of faith. Okay? This gift is described in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, where it says, Paul says in, in Corinthians, to another faith by the same spirit and to another gifts of healing by one spirit. This healing that takes place in Acts chapter 3, it was not Peter's plan. It was God's plan. And the Holy Spirit communicated that to Peter. He empowered Peter with the gift of faith. The Spirit spoke to Peter's heart. The Spirit spoke to Peter says, this man is going to be healed. And Peter was simply being led by the Holy Spirit and being the instrument that God was going to use to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ in this man's healing. But what I want you to take note of is look at the beginning of verse 6. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold. What did this man want? He wanted money. Show me the money. He wanted some money. And he wanted his physical needs met. Family, like Peter, we have something greater than money and wealth to offer this world. If all you have in this life is material possessions, that is a pathetic existence. You have nothing when it comes to eternity. As I heard one great theologian say, it's all going to burn. That was Irene Ford, my wife, one of my favorite theologians. But, my, but she's right. We have to cling to what's most important. We have to cling to Christ. We have to hold tightly to him. Because everything in this life is coming and going. It's here one day and it's gone the next. But Christ doesn't change. And we have to hold firmly to our faith in Christ. We have to hold closely to him. Friends, we have the greatest power in the universe. By this power, sinners are saved. Sins are forgiven. New life is imparted. People are set free from demons. Sicknesses are healed. And that power is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is powerful. He is mighty to save. 
He will redeem. He will rescue. I don't care how far you've gone down into the mud of this world. I don't care how far deep you are into sin. He can raise you up and put you on the firm foundation and clean your life up and set you on the straight and narrow. He's mighty to save, and he will when we surrender our lives to him. Verse 8. God gets a little charismatic on us. He says, with a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. He is singing. He is dancing. He is rejoicing. Put yourself in his place. You have been lame from birth. You've never been able to use uh, your legs. And all of a sudden, you're healed. And he didn't have to just take robotic steps and figure it out. He just started dancing. He started rejoicing. Wow! What joy comes to our hearts when Jesus saves, when Jesus delivers, and when Jesus heals. We need to shout for joy when God performs a miracle. God is still in the business of miracles today. It is his sovereign plan. It is his sovereign will. He does as he pleases. But the scripture says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when he performs a miracle, we need to rejoice. Whether it is healing, or whether it is salvation, or whether it is deliverance, or whether he just sets your feet on the rock and he opens your heart, we need to rejoice. There's a time for celebration. There's a time for rejoicing when we see God do great things. And I believe that God is pleased with our rejoicing and our joyful. He wants us to be joy-filled people that rejoice in his presence. I believe that's part of our witness. That's part of our worship to have this joy-filled heart that says, God, I give you all the praise, all the majesty. You're awesome. You're powerful. You're wonderful. We need to have that same spirit of rejoicing. This guy was healed physically, but you and I have been healed spiritually, and we need to rejoice in all circumstances. Verse 9, it says, And the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement what had happened to him. You know, this wasn't no phony miracle. This was, a, this was the real deal. The people says that they saw him. He's the one that used to beg for alms. He's the one that used to sit at the beautiful gate and beg for people all of his life. And they knew that this miracle was, was real. And it says in verse 10 that they were filled with wonder and amazement. That's important. We see two reasons why God heals. We see two reasons in this text right here as, as being the reason why God performs miracles and God heals. The first reason is God wanted to show his mercy. He wanted to show his mercy and he wanted to show his power to this desperate, lame man. Jesus gave him salvation. He gave him healing. He gave him a taste of heaven. He brought him hope. He brought him joy. So there was a benefit to the person that received the healing. But there's also a second uh, purpose 
for this miracle of healing. And it's in verse 10. And this miracle was meant to stir up, the, the NASB says, wonder and amazement in the people so that they would ask questions. And they, this right here would be the springboard for Peter to launch into presenting the gospel to the Jews there at the Solomon, at Solomon's portico. Friend, there's a foundational spiritual truth in verses 1 through 9 that I want us to make sure that we understand. This is something we can't miss. And it is this. A person's spiritual need for Jesus far outweighs their material need for anything. This lame man wanted money. Peter could have just flipped him a coin and kept walking in the temple. But no, Peter spoke to the lame man in the name of Jesus, being led by the Holy Spirit. When we see a need in our community today, we must all, it must always be done in the name of Jesus. We are not here to make the world a better place to go to hell from. We want to meet people's needs, but more than that, we want them to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So every good deed, every good work, every witness, if you buy, if you're in a drive-thru and you want to buy the person behind you's lunch, slip the cashier a Bible or a gospel track and say, hey, I'm paying for their lunch, but when they, when you, when they come through, give them this gospel track or at least let them know I'm a Christian and I do this in the name of Christ. All of our good deeds should point people to Christ. We're not here to point people to ourselves. There's nothing good in and of ourselves. Everything good comes from God. Everything that God is and what he stands for and the, the truth of who he is we want to point people to Christ because I can't change your life, but God can. Verse 11. Two things happen in verse 11. One's good, one's bad. While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, and they were full of amazement. Two things happen in here. First one, look at the first half of verse 11. It says, while he was clinging to to Peter and John. The lame man wasn't clinging to Christ per se, according to the text. He was clinging to Peter and John. And Jesus is up in heaven like, hey dude, I did that. Not Peter, not John. And many people do the same today. When God performs a miracle, they want to cling to a person. They want to cling to a church. They want to cling to a ministry. They want to cling to an evangelist. When, when God performs a miracle, God does not want us to cling to a pastor or a church or a ministry. God wants us to cling to himself. That's so important. The miracles and the ministry of the Holy Spirit that takes place in the body of Christ is meant to point people to Christ. It's meant to point people to him. But the second, that was so that's the not-so-good thing. Um, we're going to see in the next chapter that this guy, he follows them, and he becomes a follower. But it also says in verse 11, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. It did what miracles are supposed to do, and that is it grabbed the people's attention. It grabbed the people's attention, and this gives Peter the springboard to preach the gospel Look at verse 12. That's exactly what he does. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why do you gaze at us? 
as if by our own power or piety, we had made him walk. Peter's like, stop, stop. We're just ordinary men. There's nothing special about us. We did not heal this man, but we know who did, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when you're serving in ministry and God performs a miracle of healing, of salvation or a word of knowledge or the gift of faith, don't take credit for it. Don't take credit for it. Give God all the glory. It is his power. It is his ministry. It is his works. And when it happens in our ministry, in our life, we point people to Christ. Look at verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered, and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Verse 14, but you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses before you can appreciate the good news of the gospel, you have to understand the serious nature of sin. And that, that is exactly what Peter is doing right here with these uh, Jewish leaders. Peter is telling them what they have done wrong. It says in verse 13, you delivered. Verse 14, you disowned. Verse 15, you put to death the prince, you put to death the prince of life. So he's calling out their sin, and he's telling them, this is what you need to repent of. You know, until people understand the serious nature of sin, that we have broken God's law, that we have violated his commandments, that we're in big trouble on judgment day, until we rightly understand that, the gospel doesn't make good, doesn't, it's not good news. But once you understand the nature of sin, and once you understand how you've broken God's law, it makes the gospel beautiful, glorious good news. It'll set you free from legalism. It'll set you free from being religious. And you will just love Jesus. You will just believe in Jesus. You will just cling to Jesus. Because he's not your religion. He's, your, he, he's, your, he, he's the icon of your faith. He is the one that you are devoted to. He's the one who has saved you from your sin. So he rolls here into the gospel. Look at verse 16. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. Again, Peter is adamantly refusing to take credit for this healing. It was Jesus Christ who healed him. You know, the church, the historical religious church, has made an icon of Peter. They, they've deified him. They have statues built to him. You know, they, they, they pray to him. And all of that is nonsense. If Peter was here today, he would say, tear those statues down. He would say, he would say, don't you dare use my name in a prayer. You pray to God most high, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was having none of this exaltation of the disciples or saints because there's only one we exalt, and his name is Christ. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, Now, brethren, 
I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. They, they acted in ignorance. The Greek word here is, is agonoe. It means moral blindness. Their, their eyes were blind. They could not see. They were living in rebellion to God. And living in rebellion to God is ignorant. To know God and to know his word and then disobey him, friends and family, is ignorant. I'm just being honest with you. It's, it's, it's ignorant. It's foolish. Choosing sin over obedience to God is foolish. Okay? Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools. Let's just put it out there. Fools despise the word of God. Christians love and obey the word of God because we know it is theonostos. It is breathed out by God. It is his very word to us. Friends, please don't be foolish. Trust God, love God, and obey God and follow God with all your heart. He loves you. He cares for you. That's the reason you're here on this earth, is to have a relationship with him. And that is the most wisest thing the human soul could do in this life, is to trust in God and obey him with all their heart. Don't act in ignorance. Verse 18, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So here Peter is fully into, he's told them they need to repent and turn from their sin, and now he's telling them to trust in Christ. He is showing them grace. After he's taken them through the law, after he showed them their rebellion, he said, but hey, I got good news. Christ will forgive you. Christ will redeem you. Christ will, will, will restore you. He explains to them how to get things right. He uses words in verse 19 like repent, metanoia. It means turn away from sin and turn to Christ. Return. Some of us need to return to Christ. You know, if you've fallen away, if, if you feel distant, far apart from God, guess who moved? It wasn't God. And he says, return to me. Return to me. And I'll, and I'll fill your heart with my spirit. Then he says that your sins may be wiped away and times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That phrase, times of refreshing, it's a beautiful word that I believe describes revival. Revival. Times of refreshing. Taking you back to where you were. You know, sometimes in our life we need to, at least for me anyway, where I've strayed away or my heart has grown cold, I need to repent. Come back to the Lord. And when I repent and come back to the Lord, times of refreshing come to me, and they will come to you also. You know, in every gospel presentation, we need to be careful to explain the bad news and the good news. And we don't emphasize one over the other because they go hand in hand, repentance and faith. Let's look at verse 20. And that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed to you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. 
Look at verse 23. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from the people. Now, who is he talking about here? He's talking about the prophecies of the Messiah. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ right here. And utter destruction, verse 23, utterly destroyed. Utter destruction is the destination of those who refuse to listen to Jesus. There are consequences for unbelief. There are consequences for rejecting Christ. Have you ever heard uh, of well-known Christians abandoning their faith? We see it in social media. We see it in the news. Somebody that's on fire for the Lord. They're serving Christ. And then they just decide one day, they just abandon their faith. They just walk away. They just say, well, I'm not a Christian no more. I'm an atheist. And, and they abandon faith. And, and then after they abandon their faith, they act as if everything's okay. And they just move on in life, thinking Jesus no longer has an impact on their life. Friends, this is foolish thinking. This is foolish thinking. In reality, what they have really done is they have gotten off the narrow road of following Jesus. And they've gotten on the broad road leading to destruction. Leading to destruction. There are not three roads, four roads, five roads in life. There are two roads. There's a road to blessing and there's a road to destruction. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to, same word is used in Acts, destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Friends, there's only two roads in this life. There is no third road. You're either on the narrow road or you're on the broad road, according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Unbelief and rebellion lead to destruction and ultimately hell. Love and devotion to Christ lead to eternal life, lead to blessing, and they lead to Christ himself. Friends, make sure you're on the right road of life. And if you are believing in Jesus, if you are trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and your heart is with him, you are on the right road. Because that is the only road that's worthy. That is the only road that we are called to be on in this life. And that is the road of following Christ. Believing him, loving him, trusting him, and walking daily with him. That is the road that we need to be on. Let's finish it up. Verse 24. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announce these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophets of the covenant, which God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Man, I just love Peter's heart here. Peter has a heart full of grace to these people. What's he doing here? He's appealing to the Old Testament. He's appealing, appealing to the scriptures as they knew them. He said, hey guys, you, you are the ones that this is promised for. You, uh, Abraham in the, in the uh, Abrahamic covenant, the next part, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Peter is saying, you people, God came to bless you people. Now, how did he come to bless you? The next verse is going to tell us. But he's saying, 
this blessing is for you. And I say to all my friends and family today, this blessing is for you. God wants to bless you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to get things right in your life and help you serve him. He says in verse 26, For you first God raised up his servant and sent him to, there it is in verse 26, to what? To bless you. By, and how is this blessing? He defines it. By turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Jesus came to bless us by turning us away from sin and turning us to himself. It is in Jesus you will find salvation. You will find deliverance. You will find healing for your heart, your mind, your soul, and your body. What is the answer for sickness? What is the answer for disease? What is the answer for suffering? What is the answer for sin? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is each individual person inviting Christ Jesus to come into their life and be their Lord and Savior. That's how he restores us. That's how he heals us. And that is how he saves us. So, in closing, let us leave here today knowing the world and the mess it is in. Let us leave here today proclaiming his name. The name above all names. Jesus' name, his name is salvation. He is mighty to save. He is mighty to, to rescue men and women from their sin. His name is deliverance. If there's demonic possession, if there's bondage in people's lives, his name is deliverance. They can be delivered through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. His name is healing, as we see in this text. He alone has the power to heal, to cause sickness and disease to be healed. Now, what are healings that take place in this life? What I believe they are? Sometimes God heals people, sometimes doesn't God there's times where I've seen where God didn't heal people. But what healings are in this life is they're, they're a taste of heaven. They're a taste of heaven so that when we see someone healed, we can be like, that's what's going to happen to me in heaven. I am going to be healed. His name is power. He is all-powerful, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has power over all the forces of darkness. He has power over all the authorities on the earth. He has all authority, and he has all power. And that power, that salvation, that deliverance, that healing is in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. As we studied Acts chapter 3 this morning, Lord, we have seen that you are the answer. You are the solution for the brokenness in this world. And, Father, I pray for each person listening to me this morning that, Father, you'll reinforce that in their spirit. Father, that you'll deposit that in their heart so that when they go out and they see the things that are taking place in this world, when they see the sin, when they see the diseases, when they see all the bad, you'll remind them by the Spirit that you are the answer. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we ask you, Lord, to 
Empower us with that truth. Let us go out of here changed, transformed. Let us, Lord God, speak the name of Jesus. In your awesome name we pray.